And trust me, you don't want me to dance either. <laughs> uh, wow. How are we doing? All right. I hope I don't change that. <laughs> We're, uh, I loved what Randy had to say. I was just thinking the same thing myself on the way up here. You know, it's kind of a running joke here at Hope that it seems like any time topics of mental illness or insanity or sin or, you know, any kind of deviance comes up, Mike seems to punt those topics over my way. And then today we're on kind of a new one, immaturity. And so it's not just me, right? (laughs) You see it too? All right. Thanks. That makes me happy. So we'll see what we can do with this. Uh, we're uh, continuing in a series working out of the book of Hebrews called Strong to the Finish. And what we're trying to accomplish in this particular series is to glean some lessons out of the Jewish roots of Christianity. Part of it is to give credit where credit is due and realize the very critical, strong influence that Judaism had on Christianity, because they're not separate. They're just like a play in two acts, and we needed the first to bring us into the second. The old covenant had to precede the new, and part of the understanding of why that was is because the Ten Commandments didn't just fail to save the Jews, they couldn't. Because the very nature of law is such that law alone is not going to give us what we need in order to satisfy God or make it to heaven. And that's a great thing to know. So there are an almost infinite amount of lessons to be gleaned out of Judaism and on the old, out of the Old Testament on not only what didn't work, but what couldn't work. Because like uh, Edison inventing the light bulb, I remember somebody said, wow, you tried a hundred different materials to make a light bulb out of and you failed every time. And he goes, those were not failed experiments. I learned a hundred things that didn't work. (laughs) But that's a very critical part of the invention process. We kind of back into what works by backing away from what doesn't. So once we understand that, we start to understand a little more of the of the book of Hebrews and what they're really trying to help us to understand. And this particular part that we're going to look at today, you'll find uh, the uh, today's passage in the back page of our worship bulletin here. And I know sometimes you come in and see all this writing and you go, uh, and you're texting, uh, texting the rest of the family, don't wait up for dinner. <laughs> but I should just point out the reason why I put all this writing, writing stuff into these isn't because I expect to cover it all or want you to read it all. It's mainly just to show you that I'm not just making this stuff up as I go along. <laughs> I have that fear in my head, so I go, look, I'm not just winging it. You know, there, it actually says some of this stuff. So for those that are interested, you can kind of check and balance me there. Uh, so, But in today's passage, I think that all of us at some level can relate to the writer's frustrations here because they're dealing with immaturity. And they're not just dealing with the 
effect that it has on them personally, but they're more expressing their disappointment because in these people's immaturity spiritually, they're robbing themselves of what they could have. And that's heartbreaking. I know there's a lot of parents here today. Uh, I really learned that last weekend because I was the one back there preparing with Mike, preparing all those root beer floats. <laughs> I mean, that line looked like it stretched all the way up here. And I swear some of them kids were just getting back in line as they grabbed them. But, man, we got a lot of kids here. <laughs> and it wasn't just the kids in that line. But, but uh, anybody that's a parent, you... I, I know you can relate to this writer's frustrations because immaturity is a part of having kids. Uh, and like raising anything, there are certain milestones that one would expect or even hope to see as your children mature. Uh, events in their life that help you to have the Ah, comfortable assurance that they're getting it or they're getting bigger or that they're following their planned stages of development. God knows it's hard enough to even have a healthy child. I mean, we live in a fallen world, and that's near and dear to my heart, how tough it is even to have a baby be born. And that's just when it starts, because now you have all of the influences, both out here and in here and in here, that stunt any child's growth or that threaten its continued development. So it's not easy. But as a child grows and matures, there's a lot of milestones. Like you look forward to when they can begin to crawl, when they can stand up on their own, when they can walk, when they can talk. Uh, later on, you look forward to the day when they don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> And that day doesn't come. And uh, <laughs> but you uh, you and when they get older, you hope that someday they're going to complete an education, perhaps, or they're going to become self-supporting through their own contributions, or that they'll move out of the house and maybe buy a home of their own, or have their own family, become their own parents. And granted, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that again, we live in a fallen world. And we're talking about high ideals versus harsh realities. Uh, there's a lot of influences in this world today, especially today, that make it so hard for our own kids to follow those uh, expected plans. Uh, and there's that age-old battle both in psychology and sociology, nature versus nurture. Do some kids not develop because it's hardwired into them? Or is it because of their environment? But nature versus nurture leaves out the biggest influence. It's nature, nurture, and lower nature. It, there's a spiritual component also trying to stunt our growth in, at every turn. And it's a harsh environment out there. So, you know, again, if I'm talking about, you know, high ideals or perfect parenting, it However your kids turn out, it's not a reflection on the parents. It's a reflection on the world we live in. But with that understanding, I think we can relate to this. And if you're not a parent, if you don't have kids of your own, I think you can relate to this as a pet owner. 
I know there's a lot of people in here that are trying to turn puppies into dogs. <laughs> there's some in here trying to turn kittens into cats. And that that's another thing where there's stages of development and you look forward to when you can when puppies are housebroken and when they stop eating your shoes and and you look forward to when they quit barking and or only bark when they should and things like that. And when they don't just run off when they get out the door. Stages of development. Uh, and if you can't, and nobody's expected to do it on their own. If you have parent, as parents, sometimes you need to seek some advice from other parents or outside help. If you're a dog owner, you might have to send your dog to obedience school. Uh, there's other professionals if you have cats. If you want a compliant cat, there's a professional name, named, uh, it's a taxidermist. And... <laughs> 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 Two minutes into it, I just alienated my audience. I, <laughs> I can say that because I married an animal lover. We have a lot of cats. You want some? Come and get them. <laughs> my point was supposed to be <laughs> that you can't raise cats. They're cats. <laughs> we'll agree. <laughs> but, but sometimes we need some outside help. So... What we're starting to read in our passage that we're dealing with today is, is the writer, probably Paul, he doesn't sign this one, but, you know, we believe it's Paul that wrote the letter to Hebrews, but he, um, he starts off, uh, just kind of venting some frustrations here. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. I love the King James translation of this, instead of saying you try, you no longer try to understand, he calls them dull of hearing. <laughs> Do you ever try to talk to somebody like me, Harley's handguns and heavy metal? <laughs> Can't hear so good and, you know, sometimes I just, I, I, you know, I keep telling the wife I wouldn't need a hearing aid if everybody'd stop mumbling. But, <laughs> But you're trying to, it's like trying to talk to somebody who's half deaf. They just, they miss every third word. So, he says you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and to be taken forward into maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, baptism, uh, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. So you see what, what he's saying there is, we, it's like, uh, we keep re, relaying a foundation, but we never build on it. We never get past the basics. Now, our ministry at Hope, ironically, is to be brilliant in the basics. We need that foundation. And a lot of the reason we keep going back to that isn't to relay that foundation for us, but for them. 
when newer people come in, we want to make sure they get the fundamental foundational teachings of, of the new covenant. But we, we visit that, but we don't want to live there. Because, and as this develops, we'll see what maturity versus immaturity really looks like. So as we're looking at this, we start to see how there's some frustration being vented there. And granted, the Bible does say that you, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, at some level you must become as little children. There's a big difference between being childlike versus childish. <laughs> and we've all been both. But we need a childlike innocence at some level. Not every quality of youth is bad. But there's also a childishness that needs to be abandoned. And that's where, you know how I think by now, I always kind of come at things sideways or upside down or back into things, and why should we change now? <laughs> we could talk a lot about what immaturity looks like, but to me it would be a lot easier to just define what maturity looks like. What does spiritual maturity look like exactly? What defines that? To me it's a lot like putting together a puzzle. It's a lot easier to put it together if you have the picture on the box, isn't it? If you know what it's go supposed to look like when it's done, then you can sort out the pieces, and the blue ones go up here for sky, and the green ones go down here for grass. The Bible is the same way. And fortunately for us and for lunch today, you can define what Christian maturity looks like in five seconds. Do you know what Christian maturity looks like? It looks like Jesus. That's it. Christian maturity looks like Jesus. He is the model of maturity. And the more that we look to him and get inside of his head and understand what made him the way he was, the easier it will be to see, be for us not only to see our stages of growth as we move towards that, but to also see where we've kind of maybe got deceived and deviated from that. Because in looking at Christ, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis when he wrote the book Mere Christianity. He had a great line in there where he said, the purpose of Christianity is to create little Christs. We emulate, we become our God, like our higher power. And if Christ is our God as he is, if he is one of the manifestations of our God, our higher power, then we will naturally move towards that and become little Christs. We'll become more like him. Now, if Buddha is your God, then you will become more like Buddha. If Confucius is, you'll become more like that. If your God is a doorknob, well, you get the point. <laughs> but, uh, but we become like our gods. And you see that? The beauty of Christianity is we have a perfect ideal to move towards. And not only that, but to measure ourselves against. So it's not a horrible thing to come up short. We just need to know that. It's, you know, again, we're talking high ideals versus harsh realities. But once we understand that that's what maturity looks like, 
then we can look at immaturity, and Christianity not only gives us better answers, it teaches us to ask better questions. So the question in immaturity isn't, are we sometimes immature? But I like the question, why? Why are we sometimes immature? What went wrong? Where did things go off the rails? Anything living, be it a human, an animal, a plant, anything living is doing one of two things. It's either growing or dying. There's a cycle to life. We're born, we mature, we get older, and eventually, you know, we can't continue that process forever. So trees, they they start small, they get big, and eventually, if nature takes its course, they die. Now, there's things that can interrupt that process and accelerate it, like there's a lot of things that kill trees, fungus, lightning, lumberjacks, (laughs) tornadoes. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's a sad thing, but even in a best case scenario, things are born, they live and they die. But when we start to look at that, we start to see that there are influences that can stunt growth. And when we look at what assists growth, there's a lot of things that are beyond ourselves that help us to grow. We can't really do it alone, can we? For instance, as human beings, if you go to school, you need a teacher. You need a tutor. There has to be other people there to help us develop our education. If you go to work, you, you, get, you need mentors or managers, people to teach you your job and show you how to do things and what not to do. Uh, in sports, you need coaches and trainers. In a child can't raise itself. A child needs parents. Uh, spiritually, we need something other than ourselves to grow spiritually. And what is that thing? Well, it's not a thing. It's a person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need Christ to provide that model, that template, that example for us. But beyond that, through God's Spirit, what he really provides are the three things we need the most, knowledge, willingness, and power. And that's what we can expect to get from God, knowledge, willingness, and power. We need knowledge because by our nature we're deceived. We don't know the truth. But how many people knew better but didn't do better? All of them. Why? Because it's not just a lack of power, it's a lack of willingness. And that's where the, the most beautiful part of Christianity, it gives us not only right knowledge, but a change of heart, a change of desire, where we want to do the right thing. That, I think, is the greater miracle. It's easy to do what you want to do. It's really hard doing what you don't want to do. But as God gives us a change of heart, a change of desire, it makes the impossible possible. That's great news. And even beyond that, God gives us power, power beyond our own. Because even when you want to do the right thing, sometimes you don't have the strength. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But God gives us power. And you see, to me, This is one of the greatest differentiations between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Judaism and Christianity. The Jews only got knowledge of God's will. 
It came in the form of Ten Commandments. We got not only the right knowledge, but we got the willingness and the power to carry it out. So when God gave us all that we needed to make things change, it changed. It's not just that the Jews didn't do the right things. They didn't have the willingness and the power to do the right things. It's not just that it didn't work under the law. It couldn't. It was never designed to work. So I think that's a critical thing to understand. And not only do we need help in sports or in anything else, but, you know, the whole idea of Christian maturity, the, what it looks like when we build that foundation, is that at some point, just like a child needs to shift gears, what we hope for is that the child will become a parent someday. We hope that, like in school, uh, we need the like in this passage, it says that the students must become the teachers. Uh, the patients must become the caregivers. The defendants in court must become the advocates. The victims must become the protectors. And you see, this is really the ultimate evidence of spiritual maturity is when we start giving instead of getting. I heard it put one time that how do you know when this stuff actually works? How do you know if you got it? And one of the simplest, most profound answers I ever heard to that question is when your prayers begin with thank you instead of please. I love that. When you're praying and you realize I'm not asking for stuff, I'm grateful for things. I'm, I'm thanking God. I'm not here to get it. I'm here because I've got it. Now I'm looking for opportunities to give it away. And if there's one evidence beyond all evidence of having received this, I think that's it. So again, let's take a minute and look at what goes wrong when you don't get it. Now there's some harsh things that the writer of Hebrews seems to say to those that don't get it. And if you're like me, when I first uh, read the Bible, it was the most scary, horrible thing I'd ever written, read. And it makes sense in hindsight, because of course that was a scary book, because only the bad parts applied to me. <laughs> so the only thing I'm seeing in there is hellfire and damnation. Today, it's the best thing I've ever read because I only the promises apply to me. So it's pages and pages and pages of good news. The book didn't change, but my relationship to it changed 180 degrees. So sometimes we still read this and we start to feel that punch in the belly I used to feel. It's like, oh, man, is that me? <laughs> uh the writer says it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. 
Ooh, <laughs> that's harsh. <laughs> that's bad news. And you see, what I, one of the many things I love about our ministry is it enables us to tackle some tough topics like this and dig a little deeper into who's he talking to and what, and what's the point of this, and more importantly, what went wrong so we can avoid these types of mistakes. I think that's, again, the right question to answer. I love how this starts by talking about people and then shifts gears and talks about plants. It kind of takes the pressure off right there. Let's just talk about plants, <laughs> not about me. Let's talk about plants. Cool. Well, when this talks about ground, some of it producing healthy plants that produce a good crop and other places that, per, that all they produce is thorns and thistles. What this It occurred to me in studying this how much this points back to the passage that really addresses what we're talking about today. What went wrong? And in our worship bulletin, I put in uh, Christ's parable of the sower. Uh, it's called the parable of the sower. There's, it must be important because it's in three of the four Gospels have the same account. But I like the one in Luke because I highlighted the one passage in here, you'll notice, and it says, and they do not mature. These plants do not mature. And that's what our topic is, is spiritual immaturity. So obviously this passage somehow can maybe help us to get our heads around why some things don't mature. And this goes on, and you see it's kind of a misnomer when it says that this is the parable of the sower because the sower is a constant. The sower doesn't change. All the sower did was sow the seed. This is really, more than anything, the parable of the soils, because it's the soils that are the variable here. And the soils are us. They're people. Adam, in the Old Testament, was made of the dust of the earth. You've heard that thing, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Drink good beer and your pipes won't rust. I think the rest of it, that's how I heard it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I think I, Leviticus 13. That's right. We had this running joke for years in Bible study. We quote, we just blurt anything out, and then we just say Leviticus 13 because it made it sound like a Bible verse. So yeah, you know, never draw to an inside straight. Leviticus 13. <laughs> but, but one day we looked up Leviticus 13. It's a whole chapter on skin infections. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but uh, so this just goes all over the place. Doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> but this it, buried in here, it tells us why we don't mature, like me. <laughs> uh, and I love this because it's the parable of the sowers, or I'm sorry, of the soils. And you look at the different soils. It says in here, he sows the seed, and the seed went to every place, but it says some fell along the path. Well, what happened on the path? The seed was trampled on, and the birds ate it. You ever try to plant a garden, the first thing you need before you plant, you need to plow. You bust up the soil so the seed can get in. You know, I think that really applies to 12-step recovery like alcoholism. One of the Many terms for getting drunk is getting plowed. 
Coincidence? We think not. It's one of the processes of preparing people for that seed. It all just kind of fits together if you make it. But uh, but the ground needs to be plowed, and then you, the seed goes in. But if it's not plowed, if it's not busted up, and you see, isn't that true of us? Usually, turning to God is preceded by massive failure in our life, by some tragedy, some overwhelming conflict that we alone cannot resolve. Because why would I turn to God if I've got this? If I can handle it, who needs God? That's why I hate it when people say, God helps those who help themselves. If I can help myself, who needs God? God helps those who can't help themselves. And you see, that's the miracle of it. So some of the seeds fall on rocky ground and just never never gets in. Uh, Some falls among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on, uh, on, uh, let's see, there's the path. Okay, it fell on the path. The birds ate it, rocky ground. Uh, uh, The plants withered because they had no moisture, fell among the thorns, and... The thorns choked the plants, and then finally, the seed fell on good soil, yielded a crop, and that was the goal. And then Christ goes on to explain the parable. He says, uh, the seed that falls on the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. I've talked to people like that. You can literally see your words bounce off their forehead and fall into their lap. They, you can just see that this is not getting in. <laughs> they it just not frequent flyer points. They're, it's just, they're just not getting this. And that is how it is. And then the second example, it says that uh, the, the seed falls on uh, the rocky ground. They receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And I think we've known people like that. They get all gung-ho and they're all in 100%, but they treat this like it's, like it's a sprint instead of a marathon. They come hard and fast out of the gate and they run and run and then they burn out and that's kind of the end of it. And then there's that that fall among the thorns. That stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by what? Life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. What I love about that is it's, see, if there's one thing worse than us than bad fortune, it's good fortune. (laughs) That's much harder to guard against sometimes. And it's not just life's worries, because we get so wrapped up in the here and now that we don't have any time left for the hereafter. But it's not just our problems that distract us. It can be riches and pleasures, the good things. And that's sometimes even a bigger challenge. Because, again, if things are going good, we fail sometimes to express gratitude to God for that. We'll t- I take credit for when thing goes, something goes right, even if I had nothing to do with it. No, that was me. Something goes wrong. <laughs> oh, that was them. That was God. It wasn't me. So that's human nature. But sometimes things go right, and we forget to give credit to God. And 
To drive that home, there's that other passage in 2 Timothy, and it talks about terrible times in the last days. And I love this list because it really summarizes a lot of the people in my world that I just want to give a stick beating to in the moonlight, were I not so spiritual. (laughs) But it's just... uh, People sometimes can drive me crazy, and I have to remember, my problem is not with people, it's with people's defects of character. That, to the degree that people manifest defects like selfishness and self-centeredness, or if they're resentful people, or selfish people, if they're mean people, or judgmental, to the degree that they're manifesting defects is the exact degree I don't want them around me. That is spiritual sickness, but it's no different than natural sickness. If you're coughing and wheezing and throwing up, I don't, you know, to that degree, I'd rather be a little distant from you (laughs) because I don't want to get what you got. And it's the same with spiritual illness. So my problem isn't with the people, it's with their defects. And once I learned that, it kind of helped to separate, as they used to say, the sin from the sinner. But... If I read this list, it's so true about so many people. People, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, without love, without self-control. But one of them is lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There it is. Another one, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So it's not that they're a million miles away. See, You've heard me say before, I would take a Satanist over a false Christian any day, because the one thing about a Satanist is at least they're honest about what they believe. I can handle honesty. You know what you're dealing with. But when you're dealing with false Christians, you know, the Bible talks about wolves and sheep's clothing. That's a lot tougher because they're deceitful. They're presenting themselves as different than they are. And that's a problem. So... And it goes on to say, not only do they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, it also talks about how they're always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. One of the many earmarks of the failure to launch kids, and again, I don't use that derogatorily, just observationally, but, you know, that term, the failure to launch. You know, I went to school with, some kids like that. They were professional college students. I kind of envied them because they had no intention of getting jobs. (laughs) They really wanted to live at college, and that's all they wanted, ever always learning, getting degrees, and, and sitting in class, but they never wanted to take the next step and become self-supporting and to get a job and to actually use the education that they had. And you see, we can fall into the same trap in Christianity. It's all about learning and getting and piling up all this knowledge. And some of us become very good at Bible trivia. We can win that every time. But the bigger question is, what do we do with what we've been given? And I think that, again, is a sign of Christian maturity when we can step beyond what we know. Because the pinnacle of a plant's growth is to bear Fruit. And you've heard all of Mike's teachings on fruit and how critical that is. 
We studied fruit a while back, and what we learned is that fruit is actually the reproductive system of a plant. So that's why most fruit contains seeds. The seeds are where the new plants come from. And when that fruit falls into the ground, as it decays, it actually provides fertilizer to help germinate the seeds and give them a head start as they start to grow. So it's a fascinating design and how plants replicate themselves. And it's the same here. Mature Christians go out and we plant seeds because we have fruit. And that's the very term we use sometimes when we're approaching new people. What do you try to do? Plant a seed. (laughs) Get something in their head, and you hope it'll grow. So that's really the process, and it, it's that's the whole cycle of life there, not just growing fruit that we get to eat ourselves for our own nutrition, but growing fruit that we can use to advance the cause of Christianity and as we mature to move things forward. And so this passage, just in, in wrapping all this up, When they talk about these people in this early church, what they're really, I believe, presenting here, see, the real eternal question here then is, did these people lose their salvation? Did they get it and then lose it, or did they never really have it to begin with? I love the terminology. If you really read this like this, they use words like, for those who have once been enlightened. See, salvation isn't an event. It's a process. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a once. It's a continuation. So once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared the Holy Spirit, not had it, just kind of shared it. You know, they've shared some of the effects of it. Uh, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and fell away. This almost sounds like a wine tasting, doesn't it? (laughs) Wine tastings are crazy. To me, that's alcohol abuse because they get all these great wines, they swish it around, then they spit it out. Wait a minute, you just missed the best part. (laughs) Why would you do that? But, but, you know, but that, that's how they do wine taste. They taste it. But you see, the whole purpose of preparing food and drink and making it tasty is so you swallow it. And once you swallow it, it provides nutrition. But you see, they, they kind of put their toe in the water, but they never really dived in the deep end of the pool. So I've encountered people like this, and believe me, they scare me, they baffle me. I don't want to understand them. Totally. Because if I, if it all made sense, I'd be as crazy as they are. <laughs> There's things in this world that don't make sense, and I'm glad they don't. But I kind of understand, and trying to reach some people, that they just, it's not that they were really ever believers or Christians to begin with. They had a form of it, but they never really jumped in with both feet. And then they went the other way. And you see, here's... To wrap all this up, when God talks about separating the sheep from the goats, and he talks about separating the wheat from the chaff or the wheat from the tares, those things have different natures. 
It's not picking out good grain from bad grain, or he's not separating good sheep from sheep that are imperfect. It's sheep and goats are two different things. And you see, people have a nature. And I know somewhat of how this process works, that if we do not buy in to Christianity at some point, if we don't develop that spiritual life, then we tend to go to the opposite extreme. And as the years go on, the Bible says we end up with hardened hearts, different than hardened arteries, hardened hearts. So it's not that these people couldn't come back. It's not in their nature to. It's not that God wouldn't welcome back with open arms. It's just not in their nature to turn around again and come back again. And you see that, it's scary. I don't want to end up there. None of us want to end up there. But it's kind of relieving as this passage wraps up to say we don't have to worry about it. Just do the right things. Keep moving forward. Keep growing. And that you don't have to worry about that happening. But it is good to know that I'm not just going to stand still and remain immature. If we keep moving this way, we're fine. But if not, we're going to tend moving another direction and get worse and worse and worse. Scary, but it's good to know. With that, we'll call up uh worship team and wrap this up. As we go out from here, I just pray that you help each and every one of us to go out and run the race that you have laid out for us, to to remember that we're not out, out there alone, that you provide not just knowledge of your will for us, but the power to carry it out and a change of heart to to want to do it your way. And thank you, Lord, for making the impossible possible. And, and give us strength and knowledge and and willingness, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.